Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie. And thank you for tuning in and being here today. Yes, it's a great episode. Sadie's going to share an artist with us. I'm so excited about it. I am also very excited. Before we start, is there anything exciting going on in your life that you feel, I don't know, the need to share? I'm trying to think. Um, not really. I've been interviewing for jobs, which is always a fun thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just trying to find like a good solid 20 hours a week at least, you know, yeah. I have a lot of like freelance gigs, but it's like, I need something a little bit more consistent. That's <laughs> so, fair. Yep. So just been interviewing for those. I hate how like nervous and jittery I get. So we're still working on that. I hate interviews. I know, same. And then they ask me questions and I'm just like, uh, like today they were like, okay, but what if, what if someone doesn't like your design? I'm like, then I'll change it. Like, is there supposed to be like a better? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, then I'll fix it. And they're like, okay. And they ask so many questions about like criticism and stuff. It's like, once you've been through art school, I feel like criticism's no big deal. I'm like, tear You're it like, to pieces. Sir. I'll redo the whole thing. I know, <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny. Like, I don't know. It was like, it, it felt like very obvious answers to me. And I was like, hopefully that's a good thing. And they didn't go like, oh, she's an idiot. <laughs> well, I feel like it's probably a good thing. They probably aren't looking for someone who would, you know, be like, then I'm right. And this is yeah. the way it has to be. So I'm sure you gave the right answer. <laughs> like, what would you do? Just run screaming out of the room? Like, how dare you? I'm the authority on all things visual. It's like, no, mm-hmm. I know that I'm human. And I like probably could do better at everything I designed like I don't understand oh man it was well, that's fun <laughs> yeah what about you anything new I mean um yeah I've uploaded my first single that's for right Daisy Music and Ooh. since it is no this is July this this is the first mm-hmm. episode of July yep. so this month everyone will be releasing a song Stani designed the cover art yeah It looks great. I'm very excited. Oh, it's such a good song, everyone. I get it stuck in my head all the time. Which is great. I know. (laughs) You're all going to love it. I'm very excited. Follow along with Sadie's musical journey. Anyways, so that's pretty exciting. And now I'm in the process of my life of being like, okay, how do I promote myself? Which is just the struggle (laughs) of all artists, I feel. So. Oh, the eternal struggle. Yeah. If anyone out there is like an expert at it, let us know. Oh, yeah, please. Because, yeah, I think I could definitely use some advice on how to promote yourself. And I am, I've been very out of practice of performing because, you know, the last year of the world. Um, but mm-hmm. I have some little gigs just coming up. It's just, I'm like the opening number for different like city days locally. Oh. So very low stakes, which is good because it's just going to help me get in front of a crowd again. Mm-hmm. which I'm excited about. So I'm excited. No, that's the best. That'll be so fun. Performing live again after the whole COVID deal. I, I bet know. that's a big deal. 
tomorrow night I'm going to some restaurant in Salt Lake and I have a 30 minute set and I'm very excited. How cool. I know. No, that's so, awesome. You know, getting trying to get in the swing of things, trying to get performing again. And like I said, we're doing low stakes. I'm like, it's a city days for mm. Farmington, Utah, Layton, Utah. And I like it that way. I'm like, no stress, yeah. no pressure. Just fun. No, I love that. That'll be awesome. I know. I'm excited. But this episode today, I'm very excited about. And this is how, just to segue immediately. So, Reputation Stadium Tour by Taylor Swift. I watched it last week. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because in our bonus episode, I referenced that I had watched it. And so I'm bringing <laughs> that up twice in a row on the podcast. It's fine. But, so have you watched that on Netflix? Yeah. Cool. So do you know the song Dress when there's the people with dancing with the big fabric and then at the very end she shouts out, I guess, a certain artist who said that she was a big champion in artists owning their own work. And that pops up on the screens at the end. And the name is Louis Fuller. So I watched that, you know, that song and that performance. And I was like, wait a minute, like, who is that? Yeah. And so I thought I would do some research and I have to, yeah, discovered this artist through Taylor Swift. And yes, she lived in a very amazing, cool life as they always do. Yeah. And that's how I found her. So I'm just going to dive right on in here. So Louis Fuller, well, she was born Marie Louis Fuller. She was mm-hmm. actually born in America and um, she was born in like a Chicago suburb is where she grew up. She was an American actress and dancer, and she was a pioneer of both modern dance and theatrical lighting techniques. Okay. Something interesting is that, like, she's not really known very much in America. We'll talk about how she moves to France at a certain Mm. point in her life, and she becomes very, very popular in France. And I think that's, like, what's led her, though, to kind of being forgotten in America interesting yeah because i never heard her and truthfully like doing research about her like even like her wikipedia article wasn't very detailed and you know i had to like search just through a lot of different articles to get like different anecdotes and like really Mm -hmm. piece things together so i hate it when that happens it's like where's the information on them because obviously like they were important enough to have a wikipedia page so where's the rest of it well and also like she has an autobiography that has been translated to french and so i'm like there's an autobiography out there so like i don't know i want to read it now a parallel to another previous episode we have done is tamara de lampica we kind of talked about the fact that a lot of like the information about her it's almost like fables and tall tales because it's like the versions that she would tell of her own life story people don't really know what's true or not (laughs) and i think that the same thing happened with her so that a lot of the articles i was reading like wasn't going to present something that wasn't verifiable facts you know what i mean oh yeah so they were like rather stay vague than try to present something that's not true (laughs) exactly and so i think that was the issue because i ran across a lot of things where it was like And some people think this and maybe and she would claim this and maybe, you know what I mean? So I think that might be partly why. I kind of love that. Like, I think now, like if I were ever get to the point of fame for whatever reason, 
it would be hilarious to just spread rumors about yourselves so that everyone's yeah. like, what's true? <laughs> it's like, haha, you'll never know. You'll never like, know. <laughs> like, that's kind of such a power move to be like, I'm going to spread so many false things about me that, like, you literally have no clue. <laughs> you'll have no clue what my life is. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of think that's what she did here, which, like, you yeah. know, respect. I get uh-huh. it. <laughs> okay. So, diving into her life. So, she was born January 15th of 1862. Like I said, she was born as Marie Louis Fuller. So she actually began her theatrical career really young as a child, was performing professionally in different theaters around Chicago and Illinois, which eventually led her to choreographing and performing in burlesque shows in, I think it's pronounced vaudeville, which is Mm -hmm. a theatrical genre of variety entertainment, started in France, kind of made its way over into you know, America. It's a variety show, you know, different acts pieced together with nothing behind them. Um, And she also did a lot of performances with the circus, which I thought was interesting. Whoa, cool. I know. She was a early free dance practitioner. She really developed her own natural movement and improvisation. She talks about a lot of the times, like a lot of the claims she makes is that she never was trained professionally. And so a lot of this is kind of her own improvising. And something that she started doing really early in her career is she started experimenting with a really long skirt and she started choreographing the movement of the skirt and playing with the ways that it would reflect light. And she combined her skills in choreography with these different silk costumes, kind of illuminated things with light and things like that and she created her own dance called the serpentine dance and that is what taylor swift pays homage to in the taylor swift documentary okay wait so you're telling me that there was a female who created a dance using a dress that was called the serpentine dance who is also an advocate for owning your own music (laughs) yes <laughs> what a like perfect little crossover for the taylor swift reputation tour like what the right? heck i know that's what i was like serpent snakes yes uh-huh <laughs> and i want to know how taylor swift discovered her because, i know like that's i said crazy. it's not like she's a very super well-known artist that everyone knows i imagine probably in the dance community she's more well-known yeah but maybe she still. was like doing research on like snake type metaphors and stuff in order to add in a bunch of that stuff to her. St- thing oh, I wonder. And, and then it. just discovered her. Yeah. And then was like, cool. Know. Yeah. So this dance, though, was an evolution of the skirt dance, which was a form of burlesque dancing, which makes sense because in her earlier years, she did a lot of you know performing in burlesque mm-hmm. shows. Skirt dancing itself was a reaction against academic forms of ballet. Um, which I thought was interesting. It kind of incorporated really tamed down versions of folk and popular dances like the can-can, which kind of makes sense that she would be drawn to that, especially if she never was trained professionally. Yeah. Um, That she would be, you know, obviously drawn to the skirt type dances. And then she expounded on the concept of it into this new dance. And this is kind of goes to her kind of maybe creating rumors about herself, but this dance the origin story i guess of this dance she gives a lot of varying accounts of how she developed it but the more widely reported one is that she had never danced professionally before and she accidentally discovered the effects of stage light cast from different angles on the fabric of a costume that she had really quickly assembled for her performance in a play quack md um Mm -hmm. so 
and, and because of that, she kind of spontaneously developed this new form of, of, of dance because the audience's reaction to that performance was so, was so enthusiastic just by seeing the way her skirt kind of appeared in the lights that she kind huh. of noticed the audience's reaction and decided to kind of go for it and like see what there was there. And during this kind of dance, she would hold her long skirt in her hands and basically just wave it around and would kind of like, you would see her in the middle of these skirts. So it's very, very long skirt. It's hard to explain, but if you look it up, you'll get it. We'll post a photo. Yes, we will post a photo on Instagram. Mm -hmm. In the words of a dance historian named Jack Anderson, the costume for her serpentine dance consisted of hundreds of yards of China silk, which she let billow around her while lighting effects suggested that it was catching fire and taking shapes reminiscent of flowers, clouds, birds, and butterflies. It wasn't just the dancing. It was a lot of, it was the lighting. It was the Mm -hmm. whole theatrics of the entire thing that she had I guess you know that she had come up with and conceptualized that's so interesting like it wasn't just the dance it was the way that she like lit exactly it was the way she performed the dance Mm -hmm. yeah interesting um apparently for a while it was rather difficult for her to find someone who was willing to produce her work because she was primarily known as an actress but then she was finally hired to perform her piece between two comedy acts and after that she really received she received rave reviews for this dancing um Mm -hmm. the new york spirit of the times likened her to a fairy and add that added that the audience could scarcely believe the lovely apparition was human one reviewer remarked on the audience's breathless silence followed by thunderous applause another pronounced it in infinitely more artistic than the toe dancing of the greatest prima ballerina wow and because of that like the dance like everyone became so intrigued by this form of dancing and loved it man that is not like mediocre reviews that is like (laughs) well and especially that it's like this skirt dancing started almost as like a rebellion against Mm -hmm. the ballerina you know more academic dancing and then there are people being like i love it even more than that like this is more artistic and more beautiful than that that is so interesting because of this though because it was so immediately wildly popular in america she was pretty much immediately replaced by imitators of this dancing which we'll kind of i'm going to bring up later because she fights to actually copyright this style of dancing obviously that's what taylor swift was referencing but because of that because there was so much imitation of the art apparently she didn't feel like she was getting the serious artistic recognition that she deserved in america so in 1892 she actually left for europe and um, she was one of the first of many American modern dancers who traveled to Europe to seek recognition, which is really mm. interesting to me that this was like a trend that they felt like they had to leave America to get to be taken seriously as artists. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I wonder mm-hmm. if it like still happens is it to some extent. Yeah, because like the art world, I feel like is very far removed in a lot of ways from the general public still. Yeah which we could have a whole other episode on why that's was so weird but <laughs> but it's also weird too though because it's like like i said this dancing was created as 
like against the academic high art mm-hmm. so but then she like travels to appeal to the academic high art <laughs> i think though it's because of the copywriting issue mm. where she felt like other people were getting all of the credit for her creation I- original idea which like yeah. i said i'll talk about that in more detailed later mm-hmm. but anyways she goes to france and she becomes a regular performer at the Foley's Berger. Oh, the. Ah, how do you say this? It's in the name of a painting. Hold on. Oh, it is? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Ah, oh, brilliant. If anyone wants to look at the painting, it's actually really famous. I had to write an essay on it. Not by a female, but Edward Manet painted a painting called A Bar at the Foley's Berger. Foley's Berger. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at this painting too. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that it's been around forever. That's a very yes. established place. Even because I was like, how do I prove that this was like a prestigious deal for her? But the fact that there's like a painting of it and it's a very yeah. famous painting, perfect. That does very it. big deal. It was a big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. So she started performing there regularly um, with works such as Fire Dance, and she became apparently the embodiment of the Art Nouveau movement and was often mm. identified with symbolism because her work was very much seen as like the perfect balance between like ideas and symbol with this though she kept creating she kind of began adapting and expanding her costume and lighting so that they became even more principal in the performance something i was reading here said that it was basically more important than what the actual choreography was and that like the length of the skirt was increased and that became more important and the body also became more and more hidden so I think the longer she was doing it, the more she just really dug into the drama of the lighting and the skirts, and which makes sense. Like, that's what made this form of dancing so unique. In 1896, there was actually a film of the Serpentine Dance by the pioneering filmmakers August and Lu- Louis Lumiere, which gives a hint, basically, of what the original performance was like. It's an unknown dancer in this film, though. People often think that it was Fuller herself that was in it, but we actually don't have any actual film footage of her dancing or doing this dance, which is, like, just a sad thing about it being so long ago is that, you know, it was was the late 1800s. It's not like, you know, everyone had an (laughs) iPhone that they could just pull out and record the performance. That would have been convenient. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Talk about but, like a very practical use for time travel. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Like, just go back and record it so we can see what that looked like. But yeah, but there is a recording of, of that form of dancing. So like I said, even if it wasn't actually her, it gives a really good idea of what that dance looked like. She held, though, many patents related to stage lighting, including chemical compounds for creating color gel and the use of chemical salts for luminescent lighting and garments. So like stage costumes and things like that. So she was like an inventor as well, just in the world of theater. I like have never put that much thought into stage lighting and now i'm like so intrigued by like apparently there's so much artistry that went into this stage lighting and i was like never even considered that being such a big deal yeah exactly it's like just turn on the lights turn off the lights put the blue gels in or the red (laughs) gels in which now i'm like oh yeah like that's maybe a little ignorant of me that like that is also an art form (laughs) i know like we weren't on the tech crew i don't know (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i didn't pay attention no that's really interesting to think about is like needing to patent the way that you light your artwork Mm -hmm. as well and like 
the fact that she was able to like that she created things like with chemical compounds and like color gels and salts i was like this woman must have been like a genius and just i think it's cool like it's like she was like combining science and art Mm -hmm. together in one so then going into that like i said she was able to successfully patent her work with stage lighting and she attempted to create a patent for her serpentine dance because she wanted to stop all the people imitating it it was getting to the point where they would take her choreography and even claim to be her and when you know they're in these giant skirts it's probably pretty easy to fake it right yeah especially like without mass media like nobody knew exactly what she looked like probably so it was probably really easy for them to believe to be like oh yeah that's her Um, apparently she submitted a written description of her dance to the united states copyright office however a u.s circuit court judge ended up denying the copyright and the reason why is because he said that it didn't tell a story and therefore was not eligible for copyright protection at the time i guess dance was only protected if it qualified as dramatic and because her dance was so abstract it made it hard to meet that qualification which was crazy to me is that this court case actually set a precedent and it remained in place until 1976, which after 1976 is when the federal copyright law then extended to protect choreographic works. Is as it well. so ignorant of me that I never even considered the fact that you could copyright a dance? No, I. This is something I've literally had no idea about. What's interesting to me though is the fact that you couldn't, because it's like obviously if you make up a dance. If so, like if someone just does the same thing over again, it's like, well, you didn't come up with it. You just did the same dance again. But like, is the waltz copyrighted? Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, what? So. With, like the cha-cha? Like who invented them? But then it makes me wonder about like TikTok dances. Could someone go and like copyright the renegade? I don't know. Whoa, actually. <laughs> I, like, I have so many questions that. now. Because there's like all the eternal debate about like giving credit to the original creator of the TikTok dances and stuff, you know, and everything and like that's yeah. a huge debate right now but it's like could you copyright one well that's what because with the song that i am even releasing in july it's technically a cover song that yeah. i'm doing but i i'm only using the lyrics i'm only i've completely changed the melody i've completely changed the harmony i've added a new chorus to it and yeah. this isn't me ever making the argument that i shouldn't give credit to the original people it's mainly just to point out how messy it can be because yeah. with the website that I submitted my song to, basically what they do is they they get the copyright license for you, which is great. And I was a little bit worried when I submitted it because I was like, it's not identifiable as that song, but it is that song. Like I stole, the, well, I didn't steal the lyrics. I used the lyrics. You used and, them. Yeah. yeah, I used the lyrics. That's what inspired it. And I had a friend that I was writing a song with the other day. And they were like, how does that work with copyright? And I was like, I have no idea. I was like, all I know is I got the license and (laughs) like I done everything that I think I need to, but I'm like still kind of nervous because it's like, I don't want to take something that's not mine, but also it's just copywriting things are weird. No, like, uh, I have so many questions now because then it's like, I got into this debate with my mom about people who are like stars whose songs have gone viral on tiktok for tiktok dances Mm -hmm. and then when they perform them they're not doing the tiktok dances and i'm like well they totally should that's like the perfect opportunity to like do the dance that all of your fans know and they could like join in with you 
Yeah. And then it's like, are they not doing it because those dances could be copyrighted? You know what I mean? Like, I'm so, I have so many questions now that I'm like, wait, okay, this whole new world of like copywriting dance moves. But I don't think you could copyright a TikTok dance because then every single person who does the dance on TikTok would like have to give copyright claim. And they, they couldn't reproduce it. But then at the same time, like obviously whoever originally like choreographed it should be recognized as the choreographer of that dance that is now trending and like but how do they get financially compensated for that i guess they don't i don't know i'm like so i'm like wait this is a whole new world i never even considered (laughs) i know that's what i was thinking too and it's like i don't know it's just interesting i mean like i get like with louis fuller where it's like she specifically did the skirt a certain way yeah specifically did the lighting a certain way and she just and especially when people were imitating her so directly and pretending to be her like yeah that makes sense why she would be seeking copyright for it but then it's also an interesting thing with art where it's like things are always going to inspire others and like nothing exists in a vacuum because it's like this artistry and this dance was directly influenced from like like I mentioned like even the can-can or different skirt dances and burlesque shows so like would she have to pay rights to them for, you know what I mean? For like being inspired no, yeah. to create this dance? I feel I like art is such a complicated thing when it comes to copyrights. Because, yeah, I've had teachers say multiple times, like, nothing's an original anymore. Like, everything's a copy. Because if everything comes from further inspiration, like, technically, every post-impressionist painting was inspired by an impressionist painting and, like, so on and so forth. Like, yeah. there's not really anything that comes from nothing so I don't know that's like such a weird thing to think about is that like how exactly do you copyright Mm -hmm. an art form and there's been a lot of like really popular not popular but like more famous recent court cases with music where so for music chord progressions can't be copyrighted which you know I'm sure you've seen the video of like one yeah. chord progression can make yeah. how many different pop songs right <laughs> like you like just literally you play four chords and you can sing like practically any top 40 <laughs> exactly like you can't copyright a chord progression but then there was a song that lana del rey sang that used the same chord progression as creep from radiohead and it sounded kind of like the song but it's kind of just because the chord progression was the same but then Mm -hmm. they kind of made the claim that like no she stole that idea from us and I can't remember how it ended up going I know there was also a really another another really famous one with Katy Perry oh I'm trying it's just interesting there was one where they literally had to like play the same chords over and over again in court for the judge to decide and it was like an hour of them going back and forth playing the same thing so he could decide whether or not it was similar. I can't remember mm-hmm. what song it is. But yeah, that's like a weird thing as well. Because it's like I get the point of like wanting to own your invention. But at the same time, it's like they just so happen to play the notes in the same way that you did. But it's a completely different song. Like does that really? And it's like and if they didn't copy you on purpose. Yeah. Is it? No, that's interesting. But it's very interesting that she kind of like started this whole dance and copyright I know discussion so let me read the actual the statement I guess that the judge made against her oh 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 really quick so what actually originally caused this though is that there was a dancer named Minnie Bemis or Bemise Minnie Renwood 
B-E-M-I-S, who was performing this dance. And apparently she tried to create this patent in order to stop her from performing this. I think it's almost like she's not sued her, but that was what what really caused it because Renwood mm. was performing this dance on the roof of Madison Square Garden. So like it makes sense that it's like if someone's very obviously is taking your thing and doing it and not, like Madison Square Garden is like a big deal venue. Yeah. So, and if someone else is getting more credit and more fame from it and it's like, no, I invented that. Like anyways. that would be really obnoxious. Exactly. And so that's why she did this because she wanted to say that she retained the exclusive right to perform because she held the copyright. Um, but the court said it is essential to such a composition that it should tell the same story. The plot may be simple. It may be, but narrative or representation of a single transaction, but it must repeat or mimic some action, speak speech, emotion, passion, or character real or imaginary. When it does it, idea thus expressed becomes subject of copyright he concluded by saying that the serpentine dance was only intended to impress the audience with the concept of a comely woman illustrating the poetry of motion in a singular graceful fashion and while such an idea may be pleasing it can hardly be traumatic motion for preliminary injunction denied a central point of his ruling was um, the statement that the mere mechanical movements by which effects are produced on the stage are not subjects of copyright i think that's a weird thing to say anyway because then it's like okay any art that's not narrative yeah can't be copyrighted there's so much art that's not narrative like, exactly. that's a weird box to put there and I wonder if this is kind of like what started the discussion because like with the rise of like abstract art it was kind mm-hmm. of like well like I conceptualized this idea of art yeah that's a really interesting sometimes i just feel like the art world and politics like just don't really mix <laughs> no well and there's such a big push even right now with like songwriters getting paid more like mm-hmm. due to copyright laws because it's just so complicated and i don't even really know what the right answer is here like it's yeah, hard because it's like either. i can see where louis is coming from and the fact that people were imitating her work like yeah she's it is important for artists to retain rights to their own art and to own it. And it sucks when it's not in the hand of the artist, you know, like if it's in Mm -hmm. the hands of a record label or if it's in the hands of a publicist or a publisher, I mean, like obviously that's so far from ideal, but then yet, like I said, things don't exist in a vacuum. Like everything comes from something else. So how do we define, how do we define that? It's like this really weird, I didn't even ever consider the fact that artists couldn't own their work because that doesn't happen in the visual art world as much like I guess kind of with logos but like they've set up so many things within the visual art world that like even if you sell it like you maintain the copyright like it belongs to you like the credit Mm -hmm. goes to you and so it's like a very weird concept like I remember with the whole Taylor Swift thing like finding out the artists didn't own their actual recordings I was like that's stupid like why not like (laughs) they're the ones who did it (laughs) yeah but it's so hard too because like from the perspective of the record label it's like the record label like well we paid for it like we're the only reason why it exists is because we invested our money into it Mm -hmm. when it's like well yeah but like you didn't invent it and it's crazy that yeah you didn't write it you didn't play it you didn't sing it like you just funded it you didn't create the art for it so how is it that they don't get any rights to their own it's just it's the messiest thing about being an artist I think oh it's so messy and I feel like it's time for 
like a modern day renaissance on copyright laws and stuff like they need to sit down and figure this out because yeah I think <laughs> that's so. a problem um you know what this is another tangent but there was a podcast I listened to there's a podcast I listen to a lot called switched on pop where it's basically mm-hmm. like there is a musicologist music theorist who talk about pop music and it's you know obviously really cool to me and there's a certain conversation they had recently with a very popular songwriter um you know the Dua Lipa song new rules yeah she was a songwriter on that her name is Emily Warren and she's like written a lot of big songs I know she's like written a lot of songs for the chain smokers just a lot wow. of big things and th- she talked about the fact that it's it's really common for like the artist management to reach out and be like hey I want we want to pitch this song we want to cut the song and release it but in order to do that the artist needs a certain amount of the publishing even though they actually never wrote the song and the argument for that is like well this is going to be the reason why the songs blow up right like without this artist your song's never going to be heard so that's kind of what makes them feel like they have the right to demand a cut so for a long time the precedence in the music world has been like I'll give up a portion of my publishing because I just want the song heard and if it doesn't go anywhere I'm not going to make any money right Mm -hmm. well apparently she was so fed up with it that like she's pretty actively like said no I'm not going to do that and pretty much like this sounds dramatic but like swore off doing that again like she's like I'm not going to do that again started like this whole movement calling out like how unfair this is and kind of like encouraged other more prominent songwriters to kind of like sign this and say like we're not going to do this anymore we're not going to put up with it because it's not fair that you know people who aren't writers on the songs at all are getting credit for it and it was interesting because she said like with the artists she doesn't necessarily blame them because a lot of the time they're being screwed over by their own record labels. Yeah. And so they have to make money too. And so this is almost like their way of doing it. So it's like, it's from the top and it's trickling down and the songwriters are just the bottom. And so they're getting the rough end of it when it's like, none of this would exist in the first place without the songwriters. Yeah. It sounds like in the music world, the only people that are making money are the producers and the record labels. Yeah, it's mainly the record labels. The record labels, not producers. Wrong name. No, it's okay. I mean, the producers, I think, a lot of the times are also the songwriters. No, but that's exactly right. And so they were talking about, like, it's so interesting that it's, like, everyone's struggling to make it in the music because of how music has just changed with streaming and everything. Yeah. But yet the record labels are fine. And so it needs to be coming from the record labels being like, okay, we actually do need to properly compensate our artists that way they don't feel like they have to rip off the songwriters so that they're actually making money you know what I mean no definitely that's super interesting interesting. yeah I feel like music is definitely like more affected by this like digital age that we're in than anything else yeah like most other art forms because like without the internet we wouldn't have streaming platforms so like streaming wouldn't be a thing like everyone would still be listening on their record players yeah um, <laughs> and having to buy vinyl and you get so much more money when it was buying vinyls whereas when you're yeah. paying ten dollars a month to stream all the music in the world as much as i love streaming there is something that just sounds really nice about like living in a world where you have to go to the store and buy your record in order to I listen know. to it like i'm sounds very so grateful pure. that i can have all of my music <laughs> on one spot forever but it was such so fun when buying music was such an event I still buy CDs because I'm lame and I just want to have them, you know? (laughs) No, I do. It's mainly Taylor Swift, but I will still buy physical copies every now and then. 
No, I have, I think, almost all of Taylor Swift's on CD because it's just like, I don't know if streaming platforms ever went away. Like, it would be nice to know that I'd still have some music. Yeah, true. (laughs) And I know it's not realistic. They're probably never going to. But But still. It's like a nice thought. Well, anyways, tangent, but still just very interesting. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. This account is inspired to write the creator's name is amy mcnee she is an author storyteller storyteller a book doula creative coach and she has a podcast called unpublished and it's cool like she has like a course that's called the we need your art course um which is really cool i discovered her just someone i follow on instagram shared one of her posts where she just talks a lot about like imposter syndrome creative blocks and talks a lot about how like journaling has really helped her a lot of her posts right now is basically about just creating bad art and sharing your bad art which i really love the sentiment of because i just you know sometimes it's like very pressure of like if i can't do it perfectly i don't want to share it or i get really what's the word like paralyzed into not even trying things because I worry that it's not going to be good at first but like obviously how does one become better or continue on as an artist if um that you don't go for it so I really just love her account honestly all of her I um all of her posts are just so inspiring um just as an artist as a writer as anything so I would recommend following her and just a shout out for our newsletter that we have just started this last month my little blog post or portion I guess of the newsletter I talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that and about how finding this account actually kind of called me out because I am not a long form writer and I am defining a couple paragraph blog post as a long form thing (laughs) because it's something that's very terrifying to me and I once I stumbled upon this I was like it kind of called me out of like you know Mm -hmm. what it's okay that the first time I'm doing this, it's not going to be the most beautifully well-written thing I've ever done. It's okay. You know, just take the step and do it anyways. So like I said, it's really just honestly a really inspiring account. So I would recommend it to any creative out there. Um, You know, I obviously she has courses that you could purchase, but even just following the account and all of her free content is really great too. So would recommend it. I love that. No, that's awesome. And everyone should go sign up for the newsletter so they could read Sadie's (laughs) post. Okay. I found a podcast this week. Yeah, and I'm obsessed. I've listened to quite a few episodes already. So it's called Name Three Songs. And it's from that like weird scenario where if you wear a band t-shirt, then guys will always be like, oh, like name three songs or like a yes. sports jersey. You know, they'll be like name three players or something. Mm-hmm. And just this strange concept that like women have to prove that they're fans of things. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird. So it's um a lot about sexism and fangirls, which goes right along with our bonus episode on the book we did with the new nine but I found them because I was looking through photos of that book like trying to find a good one to post for our cover (laughs) for our episode Mm -hmm. and they have actually done an episode on that book as well I didn't listen to that that episode but I listened to a couple of their others and they just cover like a lot of interesting topics that like I don't think about Um, Like, their most recent one was about challenging masculinity, and they talked about, like, Kurt Cobain and, like, a bunch of the classic rock guys would, like, wear feminine clothing, like, dresses and stuff. 
Hmm. and like paint their nails and how they had like a lot of connection to more feminine wear and how a lot of them were actually bisexual but because they were married to women it just got wrote written off and how Mm -hmm. like guys are completely fine with that but then like Harry Styles um was like considered such a big deal when he wore a dress for his Vogue photo shoot when in reality like people have been doing that for decades like it's not that new mm-hmm. so and it's like cool if Kurt Cobain did it yeah but then it's like oh if Harry Styles does it then it's not cool anymore. or it's like they've just conveniently forgotten that aspect of who they were exactly so it was kind of interesting they also had a really interesting episode on like the Disney star to burnout pop pipeline which mm. was interesting as well as like fat phobia in the music industry so they've done quite a few different ones that I've listened to that were really interesting and I think they have some interesting takes on it. I think both of them are also music critic writers, like cool. Emily is from the New Nine. So definitely more like pop culture music stuff. But even though I'm not a musician, you know I like to talk about it. So <laughs> <laughs> we love our pop culture here at More Than the Yes. Movies. So fun podcast. And it's more long form, which I enjoy. So it's like 50 to an hour, mm-hmm. which I love. So, yeah, everyone should go follow them. They also have a really fun Instagram, too. So just name three songs and check it out. All right. Now back to the show. But like I said, she didn't end up getting granted that patent, but she continued her life in France. She lived there for the rest of her life. She had a lot of students. And then that would bring her to the United States every now and then just to like see her mm. students perform. Something really interesting is she formed a really close relationship with Queen Marie of Mara- Romania. And oh. also and also another interesting thing is through a connection at the United States Embassy in Paris, apparently Louis played a role in arranging a United States loan for Romania in World War One which I would just love more information about, but it was literally one sentence in one of the articles I read about her. And I was like, wait, what? Where is more about this? Anyways, so she was good friends with her. Apparently with Queen Marie, though, and an American businessman, she helped develop the Mary Hill Museum of Art in Washington State, which apparently has permanent art exhibits for Fuller, which is cool. She ended up passing away in 1928. She had breast cancer and I think actually ended up Aww. dying from a bout of pneumonia. So she was pretty young when she yeah. died. Um, only like 40, 50-ish. But it was cool though. In France, like I said, she was so successful. She was one of the highest paid performers of her generation at the time. There's also another little quote in France where a journalist wrote, one now sees black dress coats, carriages decorated with coats of arms. The aristocrats are lining up to applaud Louis Fuller. So people want like she was such a big deal in France and she was very, very successful. Just some notes of her personal life. So she did have a husband that apparently she was long separated from. And husband is actually in quotes in the article I found. (laughs) His name was Colonel William Hayes. This is funny. He was this description of him is who was prone to sporting diamonds and claimed to be the nephew of former President Rutherford B. Hayes. So who knows? He had two wives. Basically, he was a husband in name only. And she actually took a young younger woman named Gabrielle Bloch 
um, who was a member of her company, I believe, in theater. And they were partners and lifelong companions. There's also speculation that she may have also had an affair with her close friend, the Queen of Romania. But this kind of goes back to a lot of the personal facts about her life are a mystery because it's a lot of, you know, tall tales. So we don't really know what's true, but she did have that. Um, Gabrielle was her pretty much her lifelong partner until she died. I mean, it's not like the Queen of Romania was probably going to go around telling everyone that she was, you know, exactly. a woman Having at that fair. time. Yes, <laughs> Doubt exactly. that would have gone over well with that time period. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, apparently something that's really sweet, I guess after Fuller's death, her um, Gabrielle inherited the dance trope as well as the laboratory that Fuller had operated in, kind of creating this, you know, creating those lighting designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for reference, that she was a French art promoter, a set designer, and a mechanical innovator and filmmaker. So I imagine that those two worked very, very closely together yeah. with the theater troupe that they had. And I guess that she would continue taking legal action against dancers who would wrongfully use Fuller's fame to enhance their own careers. Wow. And she produced films and theatrical productions to honor her legacy as a visual effects artist. Aw, that's so sweet. I know. So I thought, I think that's really nice that like she, at least she, she had someone who was willing to fight for her even after she died. And also it goes to show just how significant she really was is that it was a very common thing for for dancers to like pretend that they were associated with her because they knew it would give them more credibility and recognition so question then in the taylor swift reputation stadium tour this dance that she did is it mimicked in did like taylor swift kind of do that same thing yes so the dancing in dress her dancers have like the big long flowy skirts that they use to twirl around their bodies with the lighting and the lights are really dim on the stage which I imagine is similar to what Louie created and then at the end you know it shouts her out kind of talks about how she was a champion in artists owning their own work which if you're a Taylor Swift fan you know that that's something that Taylor Swift is very passionate about no that makes perfect sense I really want to know how she found her I wish she had said more about that like Oh, I was I know. researching and found this really interesting lady. Yeah. But, you know, I think her legacy has continued. I know there's been, like, movies about her, different documentary type things that have been about her. Like I said, there's an autobiography that she wrote that was translated to French, especially considering mm-hmm. that's where she spent the majority of her yeah. life. So I feel like it's in the dance world, she probably gets a little bit more credit. Um, yeah. And in France, I think she's probably a lot more well-remembered. It's just interesting to me that, yeah, she left America because she wasn't getting the credit she deserved. And I mean, obviously, I I'm a you know, I'm a believer that if you don't feel like you are being taken seriously, yeah, move somewhere where people do. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to put up with that and you don't have to demand that forever. So I'm glad that she was able to find that. Sounds like she was able to find joy. Like, I mean, I'm just like imagining. I feel like it was just her and her partner that co-owned and had this theater troupe together and just using all these different lighting designs and you know just coming up with different ways to wean i'm like what an interesting exciting life she must have led so yeah so interesting there is the basic information about louis fuller and what she's did like i said she's a a pioneer in modern dance and yeah and copyright law yeah and i think 
her cases set a lot of precedents for copyright laws which is really interesting so i know now i want to like go learn more about copyright laws because i'm i have so many questions <laughs> that's what like with dance i know i'm so i'm so intrigued by it why isn't there a course in college on copyright we, we would have courses that would kind of go over it like in our music business we'd have like oh and here's a chapter on copywriting but like, like i feel like i need a whole extra law degree in copyright law and i mean there's entertainment lawyers that are there to help you with it but i'm just like what a headache <laughs> we didn't ever talk so about it. it probably should have logos are like heavily copyrighted but i i wonder though if is it like that a company will just pay you a set amount and then they copyright their own logos, but then because they paid you outright, you're not, you can't yeah. claim that copyright? So there's different ways it's done. Um, like the creator of the Nike logo pretty much mm -hmm. got screwed over because she did a one-time fee of like 12 bucks, did like this whoosh for him and everything because it was a startup. And then, no um, way. Yeah, they've gone back and paid her more money, but probably nothing near what it's, what it's worth. done for them. Yeah, because, like, they even have it copyrighted that you can't even create a building that looks like the Nike swoosh from space um, because it's copyrighted. So they no own way. that. Yeah, even though they haven't done it, but they own the copyright for it, um, which is interesting. <laughs> so that is one way that it's done. Like, you pay a fee, then you sign over all rights, claims, everything. Um, the other way that it's done is that, like, you retain the level of copyright, but, like, the company can use it however they want to which is more common for like higher level designers so mm -hmm. like Paula Cher super famous I'm assuming that's probably what they do where they maintain the copyright but then like the business is able to but use it's like it you need enough want. credibility to start yeah. demanding that from businesses and stuff yes because then it's like if the brand reaches a level of credibility beyond what you're expecting then they like you get more claim to the brand because of it i don't know <laughs> like, hmm. like i said we didn't have a course on it so i know that there's different ways that people do it but like the most common one is kind of what happened with the nike swoosh where um they pay you a fee and then they own the copyright but you can still retain the credit yeah to like say like oh i created this well so, tying back to even know. last week's episode with marilyn monroe where mm -hmm. she posed nude for certain photographs that she just sold away the rights way to because she just needed the money she thought it would just be used for something you know smaller then, then Hugh Hefner yeah Hugh Hefner <laughs> bought the rights to the thing and she ends up being the face of Playboy after she's famous like yeah technically she didn't own the rights for it she signed away the rights but it's like how much money did she help Hugh Hefner get that she actually didn't have anything to do with it's just how it's crazy how many loopholes can be found founded within no. these to kind of screw over artists you know it sometimes it feels like these copyright laws aren't actually serving artists i don't think they are a lot of the times because even like modern businesses. day things like celebrities will post their getty images on instagram of like of themselves and then getty can like sue them for using it without oh yeah um, approval but it's like it's them it's their face it's their body like you wouldn't have that image without them so like that's kind of a weird concept to get mad at a celebrity so like what they have to buy the paparazzi photo of themselves in order to post it on their own instagram it's just but, a very interesting concept but also at the same time that like the photographers 
do deserve, deserve the credit it. for it. Yeah. So if they're not getting credited, like Taylor Swift once posted a picture on her Instagram that a fan took and she tagged the fan in it. And like, that's cool that she did that. If she wouldn't mm-hmm. have tagged the fan, it would kind of been like, where'd that picture come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're no, right. Exactly. But it's like, but it is of them. It's them. So yeah. <laughs> It's like a weird concept that someone else can own a picture of you and own the rights to that picture of you. And I think the issue I have with it is that it's like not necessarily like a consensual photograph. Like it's different if you're like modeling for a magazine then like, yeah, the photography there should totally own the rights. But like a paparazzi photo, it's like they... You didn't sign a release form. Oh, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, like it's one thing if they're me. like taking photos of you at an event or like at a performance. But you're right. Yeah. If it's like a the fact that paparazzi can sell a picture of you that you didn't consent to being taken. Yeah. And then you have no rights to it yourself. Like that's so weird. Yeah. Like that's a really interesting concept. And I get it. Like if they're in the public, then anyone's free to be photographed without consent. But it's just interesting like it's a very weird thing and like you said I don't really think it serves the artist as much as like they probably were set up to or in yeah, a lot of ways probably hope to originally anyways whole different conversation but still very interesting and like I said it's cool that there is this whole woman here that set this whole precedence with copyright laws and thankful for the reputation stadium tour for leading me to her and I hope to I want to find her um, autobiography, see if that's like something still available to purchase or like I said, I know there are movies made about her life that I want to check out too. So I can see if I can learn a little Mm -hmm. bit more than what the internet was willing to tell me. I'd rather hear some of the the folklore about her. I'm sure it's very interesting and I bet some of it's true. So yeah, probably. I mean, I'm willing to kind of absorb anything in and then let it like maybe it's all true that would maybe be cool. it's all true <laughs> yeah. maybe she really did have that exciting of a life no definitely that's awesome i'll have to watch the reputation stadium tour part again now I'm i like, know hmm. go watch that dress performance and like i said it'll provide you exactly with what it is so yeah no that's really cool and what a cool thing for taylor swift to do to like pay homage to this like lesser Unknown. known yeah yeah artist in her own way i think that's really cool Thanks for being here. If you're a fan of the podcast, mm. be sure to leave a review. It really helps us out. Yeah, and we would love it. Sign up for our newsletter. And what else do we have going on? Oh, I was going to mention this. And join us in reading our book for this month. Oh, yes. And check out the bonus episode from last week if you haven't done that yet. Yes. So if you don't know, even though we've mentioned it a few times, we're doing a monthly bonus episode where we read a book and then we talk about it at the end of the month. Um, last month for June, we read Fangirls and then we were able to talk with Emily from The New Nine. It's a really great bonus episode. So listen to that. And then this month we're reading More Than a Muse by Kate McCabe, which is an awesome title. But um, it's all about creative partnerships that sold talented women short. And you can actually get the Kindle version on Amazon for like 12 bucks. So, mm-hmm. and the hardcover is only 15 So I actually got the hardcover. It came in the mail last week. So it came really quick. And cool. I'm excited to read it I know, this I'm going to start diving into it soon. Yes. So all of you should join us um, so that you can listen with a little bit more know-how in our final episode at the end of this month. So. Sign up for the newsletter, read the book, rate, review, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, all the things. We'll be back next week and enjoy the week, everyone.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.